0: So this sermon series that we're in between now and Easter, the season of Lent, thinking together about the absence of God, in just a moment I'm going to read from the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 18, and we're going to think some more about that, particularly about natural disaster, uh, where is God when the earth shakes, Uh, and before we do that I'd like for us to take a moment and just bow our heads for prayer. This is a great time for us to sort of center and focus. Uh, A good pause to allow the rich blessings of this worship to just sort of soak in. Uh, Some of us need space and time to process on our own the way we process and pray. Might be a time of confession, cleansing. Might be a time of petition for loved ones. Might be just a prayer of adoration to God. Or just simply a time of silence to receive what the Spirit has for you. Uh, I'll uh, pause for a few moments and then I'll lead us in family prayer. Our loving God, we do praise you for all of the ways that you bless us and all of the ways that you deliver us, set us free and bless us. But we also acknowledge to you the times of difficulty. Sometimes the world seems to be whirling out of control. Sometimes the intrusion of pain and loss in our lives are so palpable, so real. So we lift up this morning those who are grieving the passing of loved ones, We lift up to you those who are struggling with health issues, physical health, mental health, emotional well-being. We pray for families in crisis, for those unemployed and underemployed, for those who are homeless, for those who are finding life's way so difficult. We pray for wars to cease in our world. We pray for the leaders of our nation and the leaders of all nations, that they might work for peace and justice. We ask God your loving protection upon our military, your care for their families in times of separation. We pray today for all of our mission partners as they share the love of Christ, and this morning particularly lifting up to you our partners in Ukraine and the disciples of Christ Church founded there in Lviv as they meet to worship and serve you. We ask God that you today take our hearts that are not always clean, not always uh, attentive, not always listening, that you would just refashion us, do a fresh work in us. May you speak to our hearts in ways that will be clear and timely. And may you forgive us for the ways that we stumble and fail you. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart collectively be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now from the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 18, and if you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of God's word, and I will read this aloud. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved... Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The date was May the 4th, 2003. 14 years ago, almost. I had just come through successful prostate cancer surgery. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was being released from the local hospital. And I thought when I left the hospital that day that the biggest challenge I would face that day would be getting home, getting comfortable, and beginning the healing process. But I was wrong because storm clouds were gathering in the Kansas City area. And we had two of our three children living in Liberty, Missouri, Tamara and her husband and children, and our son Joel at William Jewell College. We became growingly concerned uh, when we kept reading the weather maps, and especially so when all telephone service failed. When we could finally... Here from our children. Everyone was safe, but Joel's apartment had been ripped. The ceiling, the roof was gone. One side had been peeled off so that there were three walls standing and all of his possessions soaking wet from the rain. The tornado had barreled through William Jewell campus, had lifted up a large corner post of a fence and had skewered his pickup truck from the driver's side through the passenger side like you were putting a toothpick through an olive Joel said later that just before the impact of the tornado the sky turned a greenish blue light bulbs began to spontaneously pop and then there was this enormous roar everybody was safe but I was in bed helpless to be of any help to my son. I offered thanks to God, but I also asked God why. On a much larger scale, just a little over a year after that, on December 26, 2004, you remember the tsunami that hit in the east, caused by... An undersea megathrust, an earthquake causing the Indian plate to be subducted by the Burma plate, triggering multiple tsunamis in which over 230,000 people perished. Waves as high as 100 feet at times, impacting 14 countries and one of the largest natural disasters in recorded history. And again, everybody in the world asks the question, why? Why, God, if you're an all-powerful, all-loving God, why? Eugene Peterson has said that when a disaster comes, people who haven't thought of God in years suddenly become budding theologians. They suddenly have answers. And the rumors begin to fly. God is asleep. God is angry. We have sinned. God is absent. Or worst of all, God is dead. You know, one of the things that makes us different from animals is that we are a meaning-making people. We... We are driven to find meaning in events, to create order, to create sequence, to create cause and effect, or to define cause and effect. And that's good many times. But sometimes in the face of natural disaster, that's not so good. If you read history, you find out that for four centuries after the great plague of Europe, theologians and philosophers were arguing about what God intended through the plague, and then they found out the little rat poison solved the problem. It wasn't God. It was rats that created the plague. And if you haven't noticed, natural disasters remind us we're not in charge. Now, we like to perpetuate the illusion that we're in charge, but we are not in charge. Now, we believe and teach and preach that God is sovereign. God is free to be God as God chooses, but that's not equivalent to God being up in heaven pulling levers and manipulating strings as if we are nothing but marionettes mechanically acting out his severe will. Or worst of all, God is not sitting at the cosmic computer creating a hurricane and then taking his cursor and putting it over some geographic location and clicking send. That's not the God of the Bible and especially not the God of Jesus Christ. And so we have lots of questions John Polkinghorne, an eminent physicist and a devout follower of Jesus Christ, has reminded us that the processes of the world are intricately interwoven, the good and the bad, and we cannot separate the two. It's a package deal. And you think about that. The warm breezes that blow from the south and help us on really cold days... They're wonderful. The cool breezes that blow from the north that help us on, on hot days, they're wonderful. But when those cold and warm air sort of masses begin to whirl and get violent, things happen. Polkinghorn says, it's a package deal. Too intricately woven, we cannot separate them, the good and the bad. Somebody else has said, God could clean up this mess with one flick of a finger but in doing so he would make us all puppets we would lose our free will we would lose choices we would lose the opportunity to love and it would not be a relationship with god we would become robots acting out predetermined script and god longs for relationship with us and so maybe the thing the way to approach this is not will we suffer not, why do we suffer? But maybe to ask a different question, since suffering happen and happens and it's sometimes inexplicable, what's the quality of our suffering? The quality of our suffering is what is addressed in Scripture. Because if you think about it, catastrophe doesn't really bring anything new. Catastrophe just peels back the veneer of normal and shows us what's already there. Disasters don't create new things. They simply show us and expose what has been there all the time. And so, attention to Scripture and the quality of our suffering in the midst of the unexplainable. The Apostle Paul in probably what I think is one of the most magnificent chapters in all of the Bible. In Romans eight eighteen says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that will be revealed to us. He's saying, I took a ledger sheet and I, and I enumerated all the sufferings. Then I took a ledger sheet and I enumerated... All that I know about the glory and the blessings that are to come. And he said there was no, there was no contest. The suffering of this present age doesn't even, doesn't even measure up. And notice that Paul, like Jesus, linked suffering and glory. Jesus did that throughout his ministry. And when he died on the cross, he linked forever suffering and glory. They cannot be separated. Furthermore, notice that from Paul's text that we read earlier, the very anxiety that we experience about sin's decay and work in our lives, sin's corruption, the the sense of being frail, that very sense that we feel individually, Paul says the entire cosmos is feeling. The entire cosmos, all created order, he says, is, is groaning under this burden of brokenness and decay and frailty. So that what Jesus came to offer was not only liberation of individuals, but liberation of creation. Liberation of the cosmos to a new order. Pretty breathtaking when you think about it. And so in verse 19, Paul says, The creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Creation is interested in our liberation because creation shares with us that liberation and, and the, the verb creation waits with eager longing is, one, one commentator called it creation on tiptoe, anticipating. The image is of a, of a goose flying to warmer weather with neck outstretched, sensing that, that homing device uh, in, in its being that there is, there is good weather up there and straining the neck And it's that idea of eagerly anticipating. And then Paul uses another graphic uh, image. He says, creation itself is in labor until the birth of the new order. Now, I want to parenthetically say, I I have never been pregnant. I wanted to go on record. I've never been pregnant. And ladies, I would not pretend to describe that, the birth process. But from what I've observed, walking with my wife through three pregnancies and deliveries, uh, it's no picnic. Do I have that correct? But they also tell me that that pain is nothing compared with the joy of birth and having a child. Paul says that's the powerful image of this pain we're in, not only individually, but cosmically, and what is to come. And then that marvelous verse 28, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Two things about that verse. One is all things work together. The verb work together is the Greek word from which we get our word synergy. Something is synergistic when a whole bunch of elements or processes come together in a holistic way that makes the whole greater than the sum of the parts. There's synergy. That's that word. The other thing is, as much as I use the new RSV and like this translation, I don't like the translation of that verse. I believe that a more accurate Greek translation is not we know that all things work together for good, but rather in all things God is working for good. George Beasley Murray, a Baptist scholar, said things don't work good. God works good. In all things God is working good. And there's to me a huge difference. This is the God who sent Jesus Christ and didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all that we might be delivered and ransomed and forgiven. This is the God who gives us the Holy Spirit so that when we don't know what to pray in our pain and in our our shock from life's violence, the Holy Spirit is within us. This is the God who does so much in us and with us. This is the God who never gives up on us and who's working a master plan despite everything. And this is the God Who does not inflict suffering, but who bears suffering with us. He doesn't zap us with suffering, he bears the suffering with us. A moment of transparency from your pastor. There are days when I have more questions than answers. And when those days come, my soul is restless and at times my soul is almost defiant. God, why? There are other days when I have more answers than questions. My soul is at peace. I feel restful. I feel trusting. But here's the amazing thing. The same circumstances are present on both of those kind of days, when I have more answers and when I have more questions. What's more, isn't it great to know that Jesus is still Lord and working on our behalf on the days when we have more questions as in the days when we have more answers. That God is active in this world to ultimately heal individuals and all creation. Everything that's broken. Everything that needs fixing. We patiently and eagerly on tiptoes wait and hope and we constantly say to ourselves God is God and God is good It's all we need to get us through God is God and God is good let's pray together We bow before your holy presence, God, in humility, acknowledging that we, we don't know your ways, but we trust you because we've seen your face in Jesus, the Christ. Bless us with an openness to your spirit and openness to your, your bidding on our lives. Amen.